Have you ever heard of the mysterious death of Hollywood starlet Jean Harlow's husband? In July 1932, the 21-year-old Jean Harlow married 42-year-old Hollywood producer Paul Byrne. Two months later, he would be dead, appearing to have committed suicide in the couple's home in the Hollywood Hills. The details of that night are mysterious, and the circumstances of his death are largely unknown. The case remains unsolved, and rumors of his restless spirit are said to haunt the house. But what happened in the fairy tale 1930s Bavarian-style home? Welcome to Nightmare Houses. Paul Levy was born one of six children to a Jewish working-class family in Germany on December 3, 1889. His family immigrated to the United States when he was nine due to rising anti-Semitism. They settled in New York City, and his father died on October 10, 1908, just a decade later, when Paul was 19. Around this time, he pursued a career in acting on the stage, studied at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York, and started using the stage name Paul Byrne. However, he quickly realized he had little aptitude for acting and pursued other theater production aspects. It was in 1911 when he met Dorothy Millette, born Adele Roddy. Millette had been married before and was working as an actress at the time. The two met in Toronto while both were acting in a theater company. It's unclear if they were officially married or became a common-law wife by living with Paul. The couple lived in New York City, where Paul worked as a stage manager. In 1917, he petitioned to become a naturalized U.S. citizen and noted his wife as Dorothy Byrne. Then, in the late 19-teens, something happened to Dorothy's health, and she moved into a sanitarium. It's unclear precisely what happened, but it appeared to be related to mental health. Byrne left for California, whether by mutual decision or not, and she did not accompany him. He quickly found work in Hollywood. He started as a film editor before working his way to scenario writing and directing for United Artists and Paramount Pictures. By the late 1920s, he became a full-time producer at the major studio Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, MGM. While Byrne built up his career out west, he supported Dorothy in New York. After she recovered, she moved into the Algonquin Hotel in Manhattan, where Byrne sent her a monthly stipend of $350. They wrote to each other frequently, and Byrne traveled to New York often. However, in Hollywood, Paul Byrne was known as a bachelor. During this time, there were rumors Byrne was madly in love with actress Barbara Lamar, who did not reciprocate his feelings. Despite this, the two were close friends and confidants. Lamar was 29 when she died in 1926 from complications of pulmonary tuberculosis. Byrne assisted her career and eventually paid for her medical and funeral expenses. After Lamar's death, Byrne's Hollywood career seemed to take off. In November 1926, he became the production assistant of Irving Thalberg. Byrne met actress Jean Harlow shortly before the premiere of Hell's Angels in 1930. Harlow, born Harleen the Baby Harlow Carpenter, was born in 1911 in Kansas City, Missouri. She moved to Los Angeles with her first husband and quickly became a star when Howard Hughes cast her in Hell's Angels, her first major film appearance. By this time, Byrne was a producer at MGM in his own right. 
He was instrumental in helping Harlow's career, as he was the only person who took her seriously as an actress after Hughes lost interest in her. The two struck up a friendship and began dating. Jean was 19 and Paul was 40. On April 3, 1930, contractors drew the building permits for 9820 Easton Drive in Beverly Hills, California. Byrne had his Bavarian and Craftsman-style home built nestled into the steep and winding hills off Benedict Canyon Drive shortly afterward. From the outside, the stone stairways, honeycomb glass windows, and a towering turret make the house look like something out of a fairy tale. The home's exterior consists of decorative half-timbering wood and off-white stucco cladding on the upper portion with lower stonewall cladding. One of the more prominent features is a dominant, steeply-pitched, capped gable roofline with dark wooden shingles. Multi-paned wood casement windows and a winding path of stone stairs led up to an arched stone entryway. Byrne may have been familiar with this architectural style from his early childhood. On the outside area leading to the pool and changing room are four wooden beams, each with hand-carved faces at the base of each beam representing the four winds. Byrne had studio artisans carve the wood, and each was supposed to be that of people close to Byrne, Barbara Lamar, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., Carrie Wilson, and another seemingly unknown face. It now appears that the face was that of Dorothy Millette Byrne. It appears he originally intended to have the home built for himself, but deeded it to Jean Harlow in 1932. Some reports indicate Jean was the driving force behind the relationship and ultimate marriage, something Byrne appeared to be reluctant to, though he was fond of Harlow. Throughout his relationship with Harlow, Byrne was rumored to have had an affair with his secretary, Irene Harrison. Roughly two years after their meeting, the pair announced their engagement in June 1932 and were married on July 2, 1932. Immediately after their wedding, Jean moved into the home Paul Byrne had built. For the first two months in that house, things seemed to be fairy tale and picture-perfect for the young Jean Harlow and her new husband. Then, on Monday, September 5th, 1932, Byrne was found dead in the upstairs ensuite bathroom. He was found naked and awkwardly sprawled on the floor by the doorway. His cause of death was a shot to the temple. There was a 38 caliber revolver in his hand. He was 42 years old. Details about that day and the night before remain a mystery. What can be gathered is that reports indicate John Carmichael, the butler at the Byrne home, found his employer's body at 11.43 a.m. It's widely believed that the house staff contacted executives at MGM rather than calling the police. Those few hours gave MGM executives time to assess the situation, develop a story, and possibly stage the scene. Someone unknown contacted the police anonymously at 2.15 that afternoon. When police arrived, a note was discovered at the scene about 10 feet away from Byrne's body. It read the following, Dearest dear, unfortunately, this is the only way to make good the frightful wrong I have done to you and to wipe out my abject humiliation. I love you. Paul. You understand that last night was only a comedy. The police saw this as a suicide note signed by Byrne. Jean Harlow was not at home the night before or when he was found. According to House staff, she was working on a picture at MGM Studios when she was notified of his death. 
House staff reported Jean leaving at 8 p.m. the night before to have dinner at her mother's house. Immediately after learning of her husband's death, she went to her mother's house at 1335 Clubview Drive and hid from reporters. After his death, many of Paul Byrne's secrets were revealed primarily by MGM executives. Byrne was a known lavish spender and likely owed money when he died. There were rumors he was impotent, and one of the main reasons he was driven to suicide was the embarrassment that he could not perform. Also, the revelation that there had been another woman in his life. George G. Clarkin, Byrne's Los Angeles insurance advisor, found that Byrne had never divorced Millette. He'd set up a trust fund for her. A lawyer in New York confirmed Byrne's secret marriage, which had drawn up a will for Millette a decade earlier. Clarkin believed that Dorothy was Byrne's wife, and some legal marriage ceremony was performed. However, he was under the impression that Mrs. Byrne had died in a sanitarium. Byrne had not mentioned her to anyone for years. Following the death, no one close to Harlow where Byrne was talking. Reporters found Byrne's sister, who ultimately filled in the details. Byrne wrote to Millette shortly before his wedding to Jean Harlow. Millette had plans to vacation in San Francisco that summer. In his reply, Byrne recommended the Plaza and Clift Hotels and said he would fund her trip. On September 5, 1932, Millette checked out of the Plaza Hotel in San Francisco shortly after she heard on the radio that Jean Harlow's husband was dead. She had been living at the hotel for four months. She then booked a $3 stateroom on the Delta King Riverboat. Riverboat officials would confirm that Millette boarded on September 6th. She was seen several times on the riverboat. A waiter remembered her, a pretty but exhausted woman who barely ate dinner. At 2.30 a.m., a Walnut Creek man went for a constitutional on the top deck. There, he saw a woman looking like Millette, crying and gazing into the inky water. Two hours later, a night watchman making the rounds found a woman's coat and shoes on the deck. When the riverboat docked in the morning, Millette didn't disembark. Delta King staff began searching for her. On September 14, 1932, two fishermen near Walnut Grove found a body floating in the Sacramento River. It was Dorothy Millette. It's thought Dorothy committed suicide by jumping off the riverboat, though details surrounding her death remain sketchy. Mandel Silberberg, the attorney for Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, instructed the coroner to bury Millette and send him the bill. There was no funeral then, and her grave was unmarked for nearly a year before enough funds were raised to give her a proper headstone and funeral. Millette knew Byrne had changed his will to make Harlow the beneficiary. His death would make her instantly penniless. She had completely lost her financial support. Upon the investigation, Harlow's only statement to police and a grand jury was that she knew nothing. The California judge made Harlow an executor of her husband's estate. Harlow never publicly spoke on the matter. After her husband's sudden death, Harlow did not live in the house. She married the year after Byrne's death. It was her third and ended in divorce 12 months later. In 1937, at age 26, Harlow's health was starting to fail. She fainted on a film set and initially thought she had the flu. However, she had other symptoms, bloating, vision loss, and gray skin. Jean Harlow was dying of kidney failure. A week after her diagnosis, Jean Harlow slipped into a coma and died. The home she shared with Paul Byrne was sold a few years after her death. 
The home's next owner was Miss Carmelita Parma, an airplane pilot and Hollywood socialite who lived at the estate with two domestic servants. She lived there throughout the 1940s. She also renovated the property. In 1948, she sealed the entrance to the porch, added posts to a small concrete foundation she raised, closed the basement slab, and replaced some of the damaged exterior timbers. The next owner of the residence was Lauriston E. Pete Clark. Clark started working at Technicolor in 1943. Clark was initially from Haverhill, Massachusetts, and graduated from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in the 1920s before going to Hollywood. He died in July 1950 at the age of 45 following an operation he had two weeks prior and passed away at the Hollywood Presbyterian Hospital. He and his wife Virginia had lived at 9820 Easton Drive in the late 1940s. His wife seems to have continued to live there for a few years after her husband's death. Between 1962 and 1964, Robert Fly and Nelson Barcliffe owned the home and added a retaining wall to the property in July 1964. In 1964, the home was purchased by celebrity hairstylist Jay Sebring. Sebring reportedly painted the ceilings in the home mint green, the walls in the master bedroom black, other walls were purple, and the interior woodworking was painted white. The original plaster walls were also covered with brightly colored wallpaper. By this time, Jay was a successful fixture in Hollywood. Between 1964 and 1966, he was in a relationship with Sharon Tate, who would occasionally stay in the house with Sebring. In 1966, Tate claimed to have seen the ghost of a small man matching Bird's description in the upstairs bedroom. She then descended the staircase and saw the apparition of a woman tied to the railing with her throat slashed. Tate's sighting may have been a premonition of her own fate. Jay Sebring and Sharon Tate were murdered in August 1969 by members of the Manson family at 10,050 Cielo Drive, just nearby. After Sebring's murder, his parents sold the house in 1970 to Dr. Ronald Hale, who had always admired the place. Some of Jay Sebring's belongings, like papers and photographs, remained scattered throughout the house in drawers after the home took new ownership. In 1974, the new owners added a sun deck to the two-story dwelling. It appears that sometime in the 1970s, the estate was split into two properties, the main house and the carriage house. The main house now has the address of 9810 Easton Drive, Beverly Hills, and is accessed off the gated Rimmel Drive. Likewise, the carriage house is now 9820 Easton Drive, maintaining the original address. The home's original interior is a mystery, though some original interior details, like the gothic doorways, tiled fireplace, and carved mahogany woodwork, remain. Hale mentioned there's a bookcase that swings out with a hidden bar behind it. Byrne built the house during Prohibition, and Hollywood had quite the party reputation. Apart from that, there's not much known, and few photographs of the home's original interior exist. The main house is a two-story, single-family, two-bedroom, two-bathroom, 1,725-square-foot home with a private pool. There are rumors someone drowned in the pool and is another ghost haunting the property, but there is no evidence supporting this claim. Plenty of lavish parties happened at the residence, so drowning death over an indulgent night is certainly possible. 
The cottage house, which initially had been a stableman's house built in 1925, now has three beds, one and three quarters bath, and is 1,366 square feet. While the carriage house doesn't have the same history as the main house, which also served as a home for staff such as housekeepers throughout the years, it's still part of the original estate. The two individual properties are privately owned today, and Dr. Hale still appears to possess the main house. The family has not witnessed any paranormal activity since owning the home. No one will ever know what happened on September 5th 1932 in the ensuite bathroom of the couple's bedroom. There was too much tampering with evidence by house staff, MGM executives, and police to know the truth. We know that there's such things as Hollywood fixers, whose job was to clean up after or protect a Hollywood star from scandal and the reputation of the Hollywood film industry. But many questions remain. The timing of Dorothy's visit was strange and resulted not only in Byrne's death, but hers as well. Did Jean Harlow find out about Byrne's secret wife and that she was still in his life and pulled the trigger in a fit of rage? Did Hollywood fixers kill him and Millette and make it look like suicides to protect Jean Harlow from the scandal of being with a man already married? The house cook mentioned seeing two glasses of wine in a swimsuit in a size that was not Harlow's, suggesting a mystery woman was at the house shortly before he died. Jean Harlow gave conflicting accounts of what happened that night and the day before the death. There are theories that the investigation into his death was a suicide whitewash. Another account places Irving Thalberg at the crime scene directly tampering with evidence. The following day, Thalberg was amongst several studio executives. Louis B. Mayer said that the case would be ruled suicide due to impotence to avoid a scandal for Harlow's film career. What is known is that something terrible and tragic happened in that house and that the home's owner died under mysterious and tragic circumstances. The only witness to the events within that house that September is the walls themselves. His death has been one of Hollywood legend and, in time, would eerily be connected to the most infamous and gruesome murder in Hollywood history decades later. Thank you for listening to Nightmare Houses. For more information, including photos and references, please visit www.nightmarehouses.com. Until next time, goodbye. (laughs) 